Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the market data and positioning intelligence teams within our data assets and alpha group. They'll be talking about key macro, micro, and political themes in the context of our high-frequency trading data and proprietary signals from J.P. Morgan's markets business. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. Today, I'm joined by Krupa Patel, who runs the international market intelligence team within our wider group. And she's also the author of many of our data intelligence products. And in fact, Krupa is a very regular guest on these podcasts. So Krupa, thank you so much for being here once again. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me again. No problem. So let's dive right into it and talk about Europe. We've seen a phenomenal rally in European equities over the last four months or so. Since September, Europe's stock 600 is up a full 18% in local currency. And the index is actually up over 30% in dollars over the period because, of course, the euro has rallied at the same time. And as such, the index has regained about two-thirds of the initial losses seen through 2022, which was a year where we contended with the highest inflation in decades, the start of the ECB hiking cycle, concerns around gas supply and gas rationing linked to the conflict in Ukraine, and of course, expectations of an imminent recession. So the European stock market really has seen quite an incredible turnaround over the last few months. And I think it's fair to say that the rally has been quite unexpected for many of us, given the numerous concerns we've had around the European economy. So Krupa, can you start by explaining why you think this rally has taken place? I've been articulating it in terms of being all about the increment and the idea that European growth and inflation have been incrementally less bad than feared, rather than anything rosy on an absolute basis. Do you agree with that? Yes, I think that's a fair way of articulating it. So I like to think of Europe's rally as a two-stage occurrence. The first leg of this rally between end of September to late November was largely driven by a combination of three things, I'd say. One, extremely depressed investor positioning over the summer when markets were very fearful of a strict gas rationing scenario materializing in Europe. Two, a sharp fall in natural gas prices, i.e. the 81% fall that we've had in gas futures from their peak in late August because the worst case scenario on gas never really materialized because the start of winter was milder than usual. And three, European macro data surprising on the upside, i.e. it got less bad in Q4 as a consequence of all the fiscal stimulus and cost of living packages we'd seen in the region at the end of summer. So as you say, it was all about the increment and the idea that European macro data hasn't been quite as bad as many feared, say, around four months ago. The second leg of this rally, I think, happened when China started announcing a gradual easing of its near three-year-long zero-COVID policy. As I've mentioned a few times on this podcast before, Europe is the most China-exposed stock market in the DM world which is why it got an additional boost from all the reopening measures that were continually announced in China over the last couple of months. 
I think it's also interesting that alongside this rally in European markets, we've also seen an improvement in sentiment, specifically in the continental European segment in the last month, as per our proprietary bull bear bus toolkit. So really, it was a case of all stars aligning for Europe, so to speak, since the end of summer, which has driven this big rebound we've seen in the stock 600 since then. Thanks, Krupa. That's really clear. The idea that it's been a two-phase rally with that first phase driven by incrementally better or incrementally less bad macro data in Europe and a lack of negative tail risks around gas rationing playing out in the context of very low expectations. And then that second phase of the rally being linked to China and the China reopening story. So I guess the key question is where next? Are either of these two key drivers or key phases that you note likely to last longer in your view? That's a great question and one that I'm heavily debating with many investors right now. So yes, as you mentioned, it has been a pretty staggering and indeed surprising move European equities have seen, not just on an absolute basis, but also relative to the US. The key question now, as you asked earlier, is whether all these drivers of the market's outperformance are still strong enough to drive a further rally here. I don't think so. And this is a view that is shared by our global and European equity strategist and JP Morgan research, Mislav, as well. I've listed here three reasons specifically which could make it trickier for Europe to keep outperforming the US from here onwards. One, monetary policy, two, micro, and three, flows. Let me just elaborate on all three of them. So firstly, on monetary policy, there are fewer required rate hikes in the US compared to Europe. So if you look at market expectations of Fed pricing, we're now basically within 60 bips of the terminal rate with a 25 bip hike now expected on the 1st of Feb. For the ECB, on the other hand, given it started its hikes four months after the Fed, it still needs to tighten by around 150 bips to reach its implied terminal rate. So we've now got a 50 bips hike expected on the 2nd of Feb. So the point that I'm trying to make here is while European inflation looks to have peaked, it is still far higher at 9.2% than in the US where it's already fallen to 6.5%, which means that there is the need for greater tightening in Europe compared to the US, and that's not great for European equities going forward. The second reason which could make it trickier for Europe to keep outperforming the US is down to micro. So the currency, for example, is becoming incrementally more supportive for US earnings versus European earnings through Q4. So if you take a step back and think to Q3, uh, the results were incrementally weaker for US companies and stronger for European companies because the euro had weakened significantly. But in Q4, this trend obviously has reversed and the euro has strengthened materially, which means that it becomes incrementally more supportive for US earnings and hinders European earnings. And maybe one more final point is that flows are becoming more supportive of US versus Europe year to date. So it's worth noting that we have actually seen more buying in Europe than the US in the prime book over the last couple of months. But year to date, we have started to see a stabilization in US flows and some short covering there as well. While in Europe, we've seen a small flip to net selling. So flows have tentatively started to move in support of the US versus Europe outperformance trade now. 
So in summary, while I do acknowledge that Europe's relative valuations are still very cheap versus the US and China reopening is a tailwind, I just think that the domestic policy and growth-related headwinds for Europe are still quite problematic. And also investor positioning today isn't as depressed as it was last summer. The other thing I'd note here is that as we move closer to the Fed signaling a pause on the back of the sharp falls in US inflation we've been seeing since July last year, we could see more investors rotate out of Europe and into the US. Now, if this rotation continues to happen, it may not lead to Europe seeing sharp declines on an absolute basis, but relative to the US, given the strong outperformance we've seen over the last four months, you could see a reversal of the relative trade here. That's great context on your more cautious stance on Europe, on a relative basis at least. So in terms of positioning for that pullback in Europe, is your view, Krupa, that this is an index event Or would you dig under the surface and highlight specific segments or sectors which you think are most vulnerable to that pullback? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question, given the very strong moves we've seen in some segments of the European market, particularly the consumer-related names uh, in the retail and travel and leisure sectors. Now, when you look at the sectoral drivers of Europe's rally since the end of September, there's a clear cyclical skew there. Retail, travel and leisure banks, luxury, tech, and materials have been the best performers over the last four months, while the traditional defensives, including food, bev, and tobacco, telecoms, and healthcare, have been the biggest laggards. Going forward, I think thematically it's the reversal of this cyclical versus defensive outperformance trade that challenges Europe's outlook. It's something that Mislav has been highlighting recently as well, as his M1 lead indicator for PMIs suggests further weakness in the coming months. And given the excellent track record that this indicator of his has had in forecasting European cyclicals versus defensives performance and also earnings revisions, I think it makes sense to follow what it's indicating currently. Yes, in line with a lot of the street, our economists are no longer forecasting a recession in Europe, uh, but this still doesn't mean that the region's growth data isn't going to stay weak. And that's problematic for cyclicals, which obviously have rallied very strongly through a very sharply falling PMI. At a sector level, all of this means that pretty much all cyclicals, with the exception of commodities and luxury because of their high exposure to China, could come under pressure in the coming months, especially as we see yields coming down further on a still challenged economy and the ECB slowing its pace of rate hikes, you could see a period of renewed outperformance from the defensives cohort. That makes sense, Krupa. Will you mention there that you'd exclude commodities and luxury from your more cautious view because of their high exposure to the China reopening theme? And I'd imagine that the key risk to your view overall is continued buoyant growth in China, because European indices are far more exposed to China than, say, US indices. So would you agree with this being a key risk to your view? And what more generally would you say the key risk to your relative underweight in Europe are at this stage? So yes, this is something that a lot of investors I speak to are wondering as well. Now, I agree that China reopening is still the biggest upside risk for this European underperformance trade I've just pitched. And I don't disagree that China reopening will likely remain one of the biggest themes for the first half of this year, if not all of this year. 
So as our economists have been highlighting, we've only just started seeing the positive effects of reopening be reflected in the mobility measures. And together with all the stimulus injections that authorities have continued to do over the last few months and easier comps for this year, it's only a matter of time before we see an inflection in China's growth data. Of course, this is a positive for Europe as well. But I think that if you want to play China reopening and growth inflection, you play it through China and not Europe. Europe has obviously benefited massively from this theme already because many global investors have felt more comfortable playing it through European luxury and commodity names. But going forward, I think as the domestic, macro and corporate fundamentals related headwinds grow for Europe, against this backdrop of an improving Chinese economy, people may feel more comfortable buying China over Europe. And as our research colleagues across JP Morgan have been highlighting as well, it does look like the global long-only community is still significantly underweight Chinese equities, and we're only just starting to see A-shares participate in the China rally. So there's still a lot more room for Chinese markets to rebound, even at these levels. Thanks, Grupa. And indeed, I have also heard several investors talking about this year being the year where finally rest of world equities may outperform the US. So it sounds like you're thinking this may indeed be true for Chinese and Asian equities as a whole, but you're just less sure that it will be true for Europe. Is that right? Yes, exactly. That's interesting. So before we wrap up, let me try to summarise your key arguments more broadly then. So we've seen this phenomenal rally in European equities over the last four months. Since September, Europe's stock 600 is up a full 18% in local currency, and it's actually up over 30% in dollars because the euro has rallied at the same time. And as such, the index has regained about two-thirds of the initial losses seen through 2022. Why have we seen this outperformance? Well, Krupa, you've described it as a two-phase rally, with the first phase driven by incrementally better or incrementally less bad macro data in Europe and a lack of negative tail risks around gas rationing playing out in the context of very low expectations. And then that second phase of the rally being linked to the China reopening story, with Europe the most China-exposed stock market in the DM world. There's been a clear cyclical skew to the sectors outperforming the most in Europe, with retail, travel and leisure, banks, luxury, tech and materials all leading over the last four months. And these are the segments, perhaps, as you say, with the exception of luxury and materials, given their China exposure, where you see greatest downside pressure in the coming months, especially if we see bond yields continue to fall, as they have done by and large this year. A key risk to this trade, of course, is continued buoyant growth in China and the fact that on average European stocks are more exposed to that region than their wider DM counterparts. But Krupa, you think that this is more than priced in for the time being and you'd rather play this tailwind through Chinese equities directly. Does that summary sound about right? I think that's a great summary, Elise. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you once again, Krupa, for sharing your views on European markets today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me again. 
And thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast from our group. We would love to hear feedback on our content and to hear about other topics you'd like covered. So if you have that feedback or questions or you'd like to explore our wider team content further, please do go to our website at jpmorgan.com slash market dash data dash intelligence. And there you can send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates. Together, JP Morgan. They are not the product of JP Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JP Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer.